In this discussion, we will be considering how leaders at schools create agency amongst their staff and colleagues, and why it's important to ensure teachers and educators at your school feel empowered and are able to take ownership of their own learning experience, both to them educating students and to their own professional development activities. We'll also consider the challenges of creating a culture of agency, how COVID has impacted teacher and staff energy, and how agency can be sustainably integrated into school life. I'm delighted to be joined by our guest today. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining this call. Um, it'd be great maybe if we could do a quick 10, 15 second introduction um, of everyone. Um, perhaps if we start with, with Chris. Yeah, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Woodhams. I'm assistant principal at a school in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur called St. Joseph's Institution International. Um, my role is more on the academic side of the school management uh, and yet can't wait to share in the discussion. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Gareth. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Gareth Alcott. I'm the CEO of School Improvement Tracker, but I've spent uh, over 20 years within education across primary, secondary and international schools. Um, I've, I've got a real passion for professionalisation uh, of, of teaching, uh, sort of raising the status of teaching uh, within the sector. And uh, hopefully we can, we can contribute to that during the next 40 minutes. Brilliant. Thanks, Gareth. And Lawrence. Hello, good afternoon. Um, so I'm Laurence, I am from BIS Hanoi, uh, been in education for the past 16 years, and I'm absolutely passionate about teaching and learning and how we can raise students' achievement, but also uh, create a sense of uh, empowerment within the school with, for the teachers. So that's why I'm delighted to join the conversation today. Fantastic. Thanks all so much. Brilliant. Well, I think we should you know, dive straight into the first question and sort of looking at um, defining agency. So my first question is, is to everyone, you know, what, what do we understand by teacher agency uh, and why is it so important um, or, or why does it matter in schools? You'd like to go with that one. Yeah. Gareth, do you yeah. want to start? I'm, I'm very happy to start. So I, I think there's um, it's a really interesting interesting place to start because I think the, the definition is so wide if we look at it from a teacher perspective or we look at it from an academia perspective but ultimately I, I see it as about uh, agent agency as, as a concept about the capacity of an individual to change um, the, the environment or aspects of their work that they're involved with so specifically with teachers it's about their their ability to or their capacity uh, to have an influence on, on to change maybe their school their curriculum, the approach to teaching and learning, and ultimately the impact on um, student outcomes. Uh, we talked about this offline before, but you know, there's a lot of interconnectedness between uh, a person's self-efficacy uh, and the level of autonomy they, they feel they have in their workplace, which are two key aspects I think we all agreed were part of achieving agency. Yes, I agree. We also mentioned that um, agency is also being a risk taker and then uh, own that desire to move forward and then to develop yourself. And uh, but it has still to say within the within the framework of uh, the school context. Uh, because sometimes having too much freedom uh, would not impact as much on the on the students' progress, and at the end of the day, 
that's what we want because we are uh, child-centered and we want uh, the best for the students. I think it's probably pertinent as well at this point just to sort of explore agency as well because I think if, if you look at a lot of the research there's 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 it's often talked around in a generic term, but you, you can look at agency in terms of an agency of an individual uh, as a professional within a within an organisation, but also collective agency. Um, so Priestley, uh, Beaster and Robinson, for example, talk about I mean, their definition. I, I, I got it up because I thought it was useful for us. So teacher agency is the term that is used to refer to situations where teachers have the capacity to exercise their discretion and judgment in adapting their instruction and curriculum to meet the diverse and changing needs of their students. So that's really focused on the individual. But when you start looking at collective uh, agency, then you can really think about, you know, whether it be an organisation within a school or a group of schools or a federation, but more globally, if you if you think about the collective agency of teachers globally, and if they, if they could find the common ground and, and really tap into... Um, where they can see that the most change in the impact for young people, then I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity uh, collectively to, to really change how students learn, what students learn, uh, and, and provide that best life chance that we're, we're looking for. I, I, I just add on as well, to just, just extending what Chris talked about a little bit around efficacy, because also that efficacy, um, which is the perception of an individual, uh, and their belief that they can change it. So one is the agency about capacity to change, but efficacy about their perception and belief if, if they can change it. And whereas autonomy is that idea of having the freedom to do it. So the interconnectedness of the, the, the three elements that we've, we've mentioned are, are absolutely key and, and overlap and, and to, to ensure that each one of those plays its part in, in providing you know, young people with the education they deserve. I just also uh, would add on, I just did a little bit of reading from Daniel Pink's book, Drive, um, and he, he explores three key aspects around autonomy, which we've already talked about. Uh, his other one was mastery, so a, a person's sort of self-efficacy is around their belief in their competence levels, I think, and then also like having a clear purpose. I think in the education sector, we're lucky in that we all are quite united in the moral purpose that education does give that quite clearly and that's why a lot of people aren't have chosen this profession but um that those three components being kind of key to someone's motivation and belief in themselves as well uh, so there's lots of layers but i think we're all in agreement that um you know it's a great thing to try and achieve within our schools i i think as well that everything stems from the school culture itself uh, because for people to be able to take risk and then to develop their autonomy and their self-efficacy, they, they need to feel empowered and they need to feel trusted. So I think this can only happen if we have a, a school culture where we actually trust uh, the ability of our teachers to take the lead on their professional development as well. And that we, we consider them as professional and, and, and willing to do the best. Completely. Um, I, I think the, the drawing on those those threads that we've, we've mentioned, particularly around Pink, if, you know, he talks about intrinsic motivation. Um, mm. And I think that that's exactly what you were you was you were talking about, because the intrinsic motivation to do the best job you can 
uh, is is really driven by the environment you're in, and therefore, uh, to a large large extent, that's driven by the leadership and culture within an organisation. Um, anyway, I think it was, it was uh, Douglas, uh, and I'm looking at my notes because I, I I did a bit of reading too, so it's not I don't know, but this the the theory the theory of X and theory of Y, which is the uh, it was Douglas. Uh, McGregor, and he looked at the idea that you have these two sort of um, approaches or philosophies, really. And the X being individuals who are who are perceived to be lazy uh, and and not fond of the job, and actually an authoritative sort of environment can 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 sort of drive those to drive those forward. But the but the why they talked about the employers that ambitious, self motivated, self motivated, and given the right environment and, and, and psychological safety. They are risk takers. They can create. They can have agency and and that efficacy to really impact what what they're doing. So I, I think that within that risk taking, you've got to have all three. So you've got to have efficacy. You've got to have agency, but you've also got to have a bit of autonomy because unless you've got that within a culture, you're never going to get it right. Um, I, I I just drop in there uh, fearless organisations by uh, Amy Edmondson who is it's a phenomenal book and and I would recommend any reader if they haven't read it to to, to read that because it's about creating an environment where people do feel safe to challenge do feel safe to take risks uh, and that really creates this this perception within an individual prof- professional to really push forward and. and and change what they're doing to, to to make it better for young people. So um, that's, I, I think, definitely worth a read. Fantastic. And and sort of considering all these these facets of agency that we you know just touched on, um, looking at practical um, strategies that each of you have implemented in your own school uh, in your own school environments. Um, what what strategies exist um, in in your schools to develop teacher collective agency? Um, and do you have some kind of a model or, or framework for creating agency within your organisations? Florence, I see you nodding your head there. Uh, yes, because it is something like when we we talked about it last time we met uh it's something that we have worked uh we've done a, a lot of significant work on this because after covid we had to reframe and then we had to bring the joy back the joy for teaching because uh as i've said earlier t- t- teachers have been have done a phenomenal amount of work during uh covid but vsc is not what teaching is like or um, what we've done, actually, we have decided to, uh, all together, collaboratively, we wanted to have a common understanding of what effective CPD was. So we, we've discussed and we came with our own definition of what we felt uh, an effective CPD should look like in our context. Uh, and then what we've done as well, we've, we've surveyed uh, uh, people, uh, teachers' strengths and uh, areas of development. And then we've discussed like the kind of framework we wanted to implement. But what was very important was not only to have a shared understanding of what CPD, effective uh, professional development was like, but it's also what the outcome we wanted. And we needed to be intentional about the outcome. And, and the desired outcomes were actually defined by our, by our vision and mission statements. And, and, and we wanted to circle all of this together to create actually common ground and then uh, that momentum for our own professional development. 
I think um, a, a strategy we have with with our professional development, which we established quite nicely before COVID, and really tried hard to get back to, um, with you know uh, difficulties. To be honest with you, uh, so we've got professional learning communities as a as a key kind of like part of our CPD program, um, and in just in terms of agency, you know they're self chosen. Uh, PLC, so staff can choose from a wide variety. Staff can um, opt to lead a PLC, so they've got a lot of autonomy there and in, in what interests them. Um, and actually, importantly, they're not so outcome based. So, you know, a lot of staff, I think, feeling when they enter this program of uh, PLCs that there's got to be a product at the end of it. But um, actually, that's not that's not the case. It's just a professional learning opportunity. So, um, and yeah, just that that's a real good vehicle for us to to instill agency in the staff uh, around a particular area of interest. Yeah, I think that's that's great. And I, I, I when when I was in school, we, we I, I did lead PD, and one of the one of the things I set up was something called research associates. And research so research associates was um, was volunteers from the school that wanted to look at the 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 academic research around particular areas and we and we asked them to to consider the the, the time that the school's uh, strategic uh objectives and priorities and, and 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 try to unpick the the research and where where we saw the most impact for young people so at the time it was um that they did choose people premium which was an area for for for, for underserved young people and we engaged the university, uh, the University of Oxford, and that was led by one of their professors. And it, they worked with six individuals that came together. The university uh, professor provided a, a range of uh, of research articles that then were read by the individuals. They came together. They unpicked some of the. It was like a very small meta analysis of, of some of the work that they did. Drew in drew in sort of ways that to develop agency and uh, and and to particularly to support people premium uh, premium students and then they came up with a uh, suggestions about how the research would fit into our school and then that was presented back to the slts and also the the governing uh, the governing body and that was a really powerful waste and as a result of that what happened is we did ultimately appoint a pupil premium lead so um we appointed somebody that was uh, an associate member of the slt because that that's the leadership bit that we've talked about you've got to it, there's no point in having tokenism with these things you've got to actually act on them as as leaders so we we appointed someone they were part of the slt and then the, the pupil premium research that had been contextualized for our school cut across all of the departments and and the slt were all in buying in so if you look at cotter's model of change you know we we, we did get a champion then we, uh, we we implemented it we grew it and then we sustained it and, it, and it, it had a huge impact for the for the young people so that was just one one example that um that i thought of fantastic and and sort of looking at some of the Perhaps some of the challenges that, that you know that, you, that you've touched on, uh, or you know, implemented agency in, in your schools. You know, when trying to create agency amongst your staff and team. Um, perhaps what what are what have those challenges been, and perhaps how have you overcome those? Um, who'd like to who'd like to go for that? Go for that one, Chris. Do you want to go for? Um, yeah, I do. I, I um, line manage a lot of middle leaders in um, the subject leaders in our school. Uh, sort of overseeing curriculum is one of my roles. Um, and that's a that's a great opportunity for you know 
those members of staff to achieve agency, to, to have self-belief and to, to enact change. Um, we have a high turnover of staff in international schools. And um, while that's a great opportunity with new staff coming in, enthusiasm's high, um, there can be a kind of balance between a level of confidence that that person brings, whether that's a high level of confidence or a low one. So that's that's one sort of aspect. And then balancing that with um, uh, competence as well. So uh, a, a sort of staff member's awareness about the organisational awareness of the school. Um, so that's a bit of a challenge in, in kind of like getting that balance right between a person's sort of view of themselves or confidence in trying new things and implementing new ideas and the competence, particularly within the context of a new school or um, a school we haven't been at very long. So me wanting to empower staff, but also you know, trying to align that those staff with basically organisational awareness, but also our key school improvement goals. So that, that kind of alignment for me is, 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 a, is a real challenge. Just, just sort of sitting on that a sec, have, have there been things that you've tried um, to sort of bring those closer together, those alignments or, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think what well, I really like giving over autonomy to, to staff and I, 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 I'm not brilliant at it, but I do like delegating. Um, so yeah, kind of we have a subject audit that is part of our subject leadership responsibility. So that happens at the start of the year, every year in terms of sort of subject review. And, you know, I give over a lot of autonomy around that. I'm not directing that too much, although I do obviously have my own ideas, but kind of empowering them to have a good look at the subject and having a giving a kind of structure around which to look at a subject and to review it. Uh, and then then developing their own action plan. You know, we have a meeting to kind of finalise the action plan, but really it's I've tried to hand over the creation of that to to, to those members' staff. Um, but yeah, some ideas need need more kind of like tempering them than others. But um, yeah, that, I think it's it is an effective way of empowering staff and and just being ready to let go a little bit. And um, uh, a friend of mine said, "Let let all the horses run," basically, uh, which is a nice phrase. You know, mistakes can happen, and creating that environment where if there is a mistake, it's a learning opportunity. So you know that that's the kind of culture that I'm trying to sort of create. Uh, but yeah, balancing out that kind of self-awareness about, you know, their, particularly their organisational awareness, particularly if they're new to the school, that's a bit of a challenge. I say, Lawrence, what about what about yourself? The regards to challenges you found? Yeah, I, I mean, I am in a similar position as to Chris. I'm leading uh, subject leaders as well, and uh, especially this year. Uh, where I oversee all of the core subjects of the in primary. Um, and uh, we had quite a few new middle leaders who were just brand new to the role. And uh, and yes, my my first move would be to empower and to trust people. Just, okay, you've applied, you've been chosen because we believe in your ability, so just go for it. Uh, however, I have found that um, for some of the people I've been working with, uh, the fear of failure was a massive, uh, a massive thing. They didn't want to disappoint. Uh, they really wanted to go above and beyond. But, you know, you just know what you know and you do the best you can until you know better. And, and, and I found that this could be actually uh, a barrier to their development because they, they, they don't want to say. 
Um, and it, it, it takes a long time to build a climate of trust and a, a safe place where actually, um, and I am there now with most of them, and, and that has changed the, the, the dynamic of everything. And I can see them moving forward now with the confidence because they're not scared of coming back and say, well, actually, that didn't work. Uh, it's okay. It didn't work. So what's the next step? What are we supposed to do? But if we don't have those conditions to start with, and if as senior leaders, we are not aware that no matter where they are in their career, if they start with somebody new, uh, we need to... We need to make that mental note that uh, they need to be reassured uh, before being pushed to just go with it. And this is where sometimes I find our role quite tricky when we have to balance the act between mentoring and coaching. Mm. Because sometimes they would want to be mentored, but they don't want to say uh, because they feel like being middle leaders, uh, no. I need to be coached, but actually, no, I need more direction, but I don't want to tell you. I don't know if it makes sense, but it's um, it's something I've experienced this year. And that has made me reflect a lot on how I was approaching everything now. And it makes absolute sense. And I, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and I suppose it's, it's ampli <clears throat> amplified, isn't it? Especially if you're moving to a new country or moving to a new you know, continent sometimes, you know, being in a totally new environment where the role might be relatively similar, but obviously the context with which you're doing it is, is entirely different, isn't it? So creating that, you know, that, that culture where people reframe failure to some degree, right? I think that's what Chris mm -hmm. was mentioning as well earlier, reframing it, um, you know, just, just again, just sitting on that a sec, um, how, how have you, how have you done that and, and created a culture where, People aren't afraid to, I mean, I actually hate the word fail because failure is an essential step to success. So how, uh, how have you I, how have you done that? Uh, well, I've been vulnerable. I've shared my own mistakes. Uh, I've shared my, uh, yeah, my what how I've grown. Uh, I've started as a classroom teacher and, uh, and, and uh, I've been through all the steps of leadership. I've been through uh, middle leadership and then senior leadership. And, and yeah, and sometimes the, it has been a, a hard learning curve, you know, a steep learning curve. And, uh, and just as I, it's trying maybe to remember how I was before and how I didn't want to disappoint the people who had faith in me in the very first place. And uh, and sometimes, you know, you it's challenging yourself as well. And I think that's how um, I've been able to, to, to reframe uh, the discussion and, and then the relationship. It's just opening up. Mm. And uh, by showing that, yeah, well, that's... And, and it still happens, so don't worry. <laughs> it's... <laughs> We are, uh, there's uh, something we say in our school and uh, and I it has become kind of a joke now because everybody uses it. But actually, I, I, I believe in this very much. Like, I think we are working progress and uh, we are not a finished product and will never be because we are educators and uh, and we're here to learn and it happens every day. I think to, to add to that, Lawrence, I, I yeah, uh, I totally echo that. I've come through a similar pathway, you know, and, and that 
that gives an automatic layer of empathy with the middle leaders, you know, having been there, done that, experienced the challenges yourself. Um, yeah, that, that and that empathy is key as well um, to kind of empowering others. Um, yeah, a phrase that's kind of been banded about is servant leadership. So that's something I, I'm striving towards now and, you know, really trying to um, come from a standpoint of what I can do for others. Um, and, yeah, that that's also early stages of that for me in my own personal development but that's something i'm striving towards and, and i think that will really help that sense of agency amongst the staff i think that's great I, it sounds like there's two brilliant schools to work in I, starting with with lawrence I, I think that that authenticity of leadership is absolutely essential because if you're part of a leadership trying to develop a culture with psychological safety professionals and teachers can very easily spot when somebody's not being authentic and so having having the having the strength to be vulnerable i think often comes with experience and you talked about your journey and and you reflecting back to when you were when you were perhaps a, a, an inexperienced leader and it's really hard mm -hmm. when an inexperienced leader when you don't really know a lot about leadership and management to be vulnerable because you do make a lot of mistakes and you're learning it as you go so i think that that for me, I think is really key. But where, if you're in a school where you have young leaders and you're trying to grow them to be great leaders, only through being authentic, but you can allow them to say, "I'm not really sure about this," I, you know, or yeah. and, or can you help me? Or has somebody got experience of this? Because you, you know, schools are a wealth of knowledge. You've got hundreds of years' experience around you, but it's only yeah. if you tap into that. That it can be really powerful. Um, mm -hmm. Again, Chris, your your point about empathy, and I, if I can just stretch that a bit, because I think that empathy is great. Uh, um, however, I think that the next empathy, the idea of, of, of sharing feelings, but I think that the next step for that is about compassion, where actually you act upon it. So em empathy is really important because you want to be empathetic towards your professionals who are trying to do this. But compassion, that next step is like, okay, and you mentioned it, like, what can I do? That servant leadership, because that 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 is the is the jump between saying, yes, I understand you've got a problem, and I'm you know I'm just <laughs> empathetic, but I can do this for you. What or what can I do to support you? And that is how you create psychological safety. It's one aspect of how you can create it, which I think is essential. If I can, I, can I just go back to your original question, Max, because I think nobody's mentioned. So the barriers, you said, what are the barriers to agency? The biggest barrier is time. I've mm. never where if you don't give time for any priority, it's not going to work. And and when I say time, I'm not saying, you know, this is our priority. Therefore, OK, all the middle leaders, you need to do this. Of course, they and they and they'll, they'll sit in the meeting and they'll nod and say yes, I'll do that, and then they'll go away and they'll and as they're walking out, they'll say, oh, "I'm not sure when I'm going to do that because I've already got 15 things on my list." So when I talk about time, it's about creating time, not just giving somebody another a priority. And how do you do that? Well, a, a really simple, a really simple thing that we've used is stop, stop, keep. Okay, so it's it's if you're going to have a priority and you're going to action people to do something. What are you going to ask them not to do? Because they're already working at full time. They can't create another two hours in their working day. So what are you going to ask them not to do? Or where are you going to shift some of their responsibility? And you know, perhaps it's an opportunity for someone in their team to pick up an area of responsibility. But that's really key because 
part of we know at the moment post COVID, absolutely central is staff well-being and just wanting something else and saying, yeah, we're going to give you teacher agency. Let's do a project on it. Now go and, you know, work on this. Like, oh, okay, well, I'll try. Hmm. <laughs> Time is one. I think there's something around structure and about support as well, because without having structure to develop, whether it be CPD or whether it be any area, unless you've got some framework to follow and, and, and support with experience to understand some of the pitfalls of that, but you may you could end up with a blind leading the blind. And I've done that. I I've, I've done that as a leader. Given you know, tried to do something, but just ended up not really understanding and not really realizing that I was just walking around in the dark. So and and there's some simple models. So you know, I mean, for for teacher agency, look at Hattie. Hattie's got some visible learning. You know, draws on huge amounts of data, metadata to to, to say this is. We've looked at all the research. These are the things that have the biggest impact. Like collective teacher efficacy, for example, like, you know, I think it was 2017 was as an effect size of 1.57. Massive, it's huge. But you can tap into that. You've still got to contextualize it, but it allows you to draw on some of that, the research that's been done. You can draw, you can look and then contextualize it. There's also the EF, Education Endowment Fund Foundation, which has a, a brilliant, fan, uh, a brilliant model of, of school improvement, which is almost a framework. So, you know, it's like Potter or McKinsey or something like that, that will will guide you. And it's sort of like best practice. And it's not perfect because as Laurent said, it's all work in progress. So I think having some level of a framework when you are trying to create change is really important. Um, I'll stop, otherwise I'll keep going. <laughs> It actually leads us really nicely onto our sort of penultimate question here, looking at those conditions that need to be in place. Um, you know, are there any other aspects um, that everyone's touched on um, that, that, that do need to be in place, the, those sort of conditions um, for a school to effectively implement these strategies around agency? Um, Chris, do you want to? I don't know if it's a condition, but I thought about this question and I just went straight back to recruitment really, and, and really getting the right people on the bus from the first place um, to contribute and to be a part of, you know, the, the culture that you want or that is developing. Um, and like really, you know, I'm involved in recruitment at the moment as well. I think a lot of international school teachers are. Um, but really probing motivation, really probing kind of... Um, you know, character and attitudes in your interview process and unpicking that and just being really transparent as a as an interviewer about the ethos and, and you know, just being open and honest about whether there's that fit. And, you know, I think when, when there is that fit, when you, you feel it, you feel it in interviews and, and if you get that right from the get-go and you, you make that connection through clever interviewing, you know, through probing questions and, well-planned questions, then you're sort of three quarters of the way there to answer you. Um, once you know, because if they arrive aligned and you know believing in what you believe in as a school, then it just makes the journey so much easier. Um, so yeah, that in terms of creating the right conditions, that that for me is a real key moment. And I think also just within that, yeah, just uh, being having very clear articulation of the school vision and purpose and you know making sure that transcends right down from the top and you know there's a golden thread coming right through 
that is tangible, that's honest, uh, that people can, you know, people can really kind of identify. And if that is really clear in people's minds and really just part of the spoken, uh, the hidden curriculum, everything is it's it's there, it's present, then that's the conditions in which people are going to feel comfortable, they're going to feel aligned, and they're going to be able to achieve things for themselves, for their own professional development, and things for the children and things for the school. That sounds a bit woolly, but that's I, I don't really believe that. Yeah, no, fantastic. Lawrence, what about yourself? Yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of the things that Chris is saying, but I think it starts it starts with the why. Uh, I'm going to quote Simon Sinek here. It's just, I think, like Gareth mentioned earlier, intrinsic motivation is the number one. And we all know as educators that intrinsic motivation is the hardest one to, uh, to create, to establish. Um, I think we can attract the right people by explaining why we are doing this. And, and the why in our schools is through uh, the guiding statements and the core values we have. And, and like Chris was saying, it's identifying those people who actually uh, believe in our core values and in, in our guiding statements. Because if we are aligned in what we want to achieve, then we will be motivated together. Um, I also believe uh, in collaboration and I believe that uh, it takes a village and it doesn't only take a village to raise children, uh, but it also takes a village for us to achieve something because we are in this together and we learn from each other every day. We are our first promise, uh, our first port of call, you know, it's an it's easy resource. And like Gareth said earlier, like how many years of experience do we have all together? And, and sometimes that's underestimated. Um, but I think also um, when Gareth mentioned time, um, I kind of disagree with this because I believe that, uh, yes, time is something that people say, but what about priority? What about taking ownership and then have your own priorities set up? Because if you want to lose weight and you're motivated to do it, you're going to find the time to exercise. And we all have the same 24 hours in a day. But the way we are going to organize those 24 hours is going to align with our own priorities. And I know it is something that we've found, like with our middle leaders, we have developed like a bespoke program to support those new middle leaders. And we've done uh, like a formative kind of assessment with them. It's like, what are the areas you think you will need uh, the most support? And priority was one of them. How do you prioritize? And um, and we delved on that and we told them to use matrix uh, we've, uh, and, and we support them. And we've also done an exercise when everybody's mapping the year ahead to identify the pits, you know, like the time in the year where the calendar is the busiest. And then, you know, that also it matches with you not feeling at your best because it's the end of term. Tired, uh, or it's a, a time of the year where you already are aware you don't like. Uh, I know when it comes near my birthday, I'm not in the best mood ever because years are passing by and I can't cope with it. 
but you know it's like it that self awareness i think that's already that's also important with the the setting the conditions so it's it's providing the tools as well and the strategies for people to to be able to to delve in their own uh personalities and uh, and strengths and weaknesses at the same time right i i mean for me i think one of the talk about what conditions i think we've mentioned some already so i think this culture you know there's, there's psychological safety there's leadership and the people uh, i think the golden circle the cynic stuff amazing you know if, if people want mm -hmm. thinking for example radical candor by kim scott is also a brilliant brilliant read um I think that if if we think about the conditions, though, there's there's so much. Again, this is there's lots of people have written about this. You know, if you if you look at Robinson about culture and about you know there's masses of stuff out there. I mean, my my starting point and go to people are always Hargreaves and Fuller because uh, I I think the work they've done is is outstanding. I think they've not only have they done the research, they've then applied it to um, to schools, put it in context, piloted it, and and seen the impact of it. So Hargreaves and, and O'Connor's collaborative professionalism, for example, is phenomenal. The 10 tenants, it, it's out there. It exists. You have to contextualize it for your for your school, your trust, your region, your, your network. But the 10 tenants, you know, they're, they're fantastic. Collective, collective autonomy, collective uh, efficacy, collaborative inquiry, you know, uh, collective responsibility and collective uh, innovation, mutual dialogue, joint work common me common meaning and purpose i mean that is really key you know so what in an environment in a school you've got to have a common language and, and people have got to understand that language have the same meaning from that language because you know perception and misunderstanding is so easy to do uh, and, and think big picture you know that, that's the 10th tenant that, that Hargreaves talks about does everybody understand what you're trying to achieve does everybody understand the journey you know so so and a lot of this then returns back to leadership and about ensuring that strategically that the, the leadership understand what they are trying to achieve which is where Lauren started the why you know if we don't understand if we don't understand why we're doing something and, and how we're going to get there you know it's all about this sort of uh, strategic thinking and effective leadership so i think that those for me are the, are the sort of great aspects of of great organizations and using the experience and wealth of and, and rich knowledge that's out there can massively impact the, the 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 rate of change the outcomes that you do but we have uh, so i i Lawrence, I, I still think that time is key because you have to so as a leader, you have to have you have to allocate and it is about priorities. So I, I completely agree. But you have to prioritize and find time as a senior leader to think strategically, because we've mm. all schools that the danger is, you know, as a senior leader, I spent the first six months of my life just dealing with, you know, dealing with, with behavioral issues. I, ne mm. I never even thought about strategy. But, but then we reflected and, we, and we, we found and prioritized that time to ensure that we did understand the bigger picture. We understood how we we're trying to do it. We really drilled down into what we were trying to achieve, how we were going to do it, how we were going to share it, have a common strategy for our internal and external key stakeholders. All of these things, it, it, it sits there, but it's, it's often the bit that's forgotten, I think. Not in all organizations, but often where I talk to senior leaders who are struggling, it's be, sometimes because they haven't, 
stepped away from that operational, you know, craziness that is school. I think in being able to step away effectively as well and have that big picture view, the importance of kind of networking and school partnership, which is quite has has been very challenging in COVID, particularly in where I'm working in Malaysia, where literally we couldn't connect with the schools. But that's really coming back on the scene now. You know, we're part of um Obasir and uh, Ames, and you know, there's lots of different international networks, like I said, of course. Um, but yeah, connecting with your wider community, the wider educational world, and being open and receptive to to new ideas, and just being aware of the horizon, um, I think that's really important as a leader. Uh, and you bringing that back into your school, and and then also signposting people to those other external opportunities. Uh, where if the leaders are engaged out there and making things happen, then, you know, our staff can be as well. And I think making those connections across schools uh, can really open people's minds uh, and really give them more motivation and give them more ideas about what they might want to achieve in their in their, in, in their own school or for themselves. Um, I think just touching on something that was kind of like mentioned by a few people, time, um, I'm not really answering the question here, but for me, like the concept of slow change is uh, is really important and, and, and staff uh, and leaders being aware of change takes time. And, you know, you said this in different ways already, but and over the school year, you know, there's a there's a cycle of assessment, there's a cycle of the curriculum. And if you're going to make a change, you need to give it a full run to, to see if it works. Um, so kind of like in terms of middle leadership management, you know, trying to get staff to understand that these things take time and there could be errors along the way. And as a leader, being open and comfortable with that, uh, I think is also a real key part of the conditions that need to be in place. And, and yeah, just that when I've achieved change in schools, it's been over a long period of time and I've gained a lot of satisfaction because I've been there to see it. But international schools, there is turnover and they're not always around to see the benefits of their labour, you know, the, the things that, probably worked really hard on and then left the next year, you know, hopefully they're still in place and they might not have seen the benefits of their, of their hard work. So yeah, just, just the staff to understand that things take a long time to change. I mean, that leads me perfectly onto my, my, the final question, actually, you know, how can that agency be sustainably implemented in schools? So um, creating agency, a culture of agency or collective agency among staff, team members, um, how, how can it be sustainably implemented? Have you, have you, sort of seen that that life cycle to some extent now and, and what does that look like for you? This was the one I struggled with, to be honest with you. This was the one I, I couldn't answer, the, 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 you know, give the answer, to be honest with you. Um, COVID has impacted in terms of cultural, the damage that that's sort of done to, to school culture. Um, so getting that back, getting back the culture where staff agency is high, uh, we're, I, that's where our school is is at the moment. But in terms of maintaining it, uh, I can't speak intelligently of being in a school that we've achieved that. Mainly, and that's a global thing, probably. Um, so yeah, I haven't really got an answer. But uh, continuity uh, is key, and succession planning for key positions. You know, being really kind of strategic about that, Gareth, and like really forward thinking about okay, well, you know how reliant are we on this one member of staff you know are we thinking intelligently about the capabilities and, and the, uh, everything that kind of hangs with that individual and 
you know, planning forward to make sure it's not lost, basically. Um, so yeah, two things for me is your continuity and really kind of strategic succession planning to enable that um, would be two things that basically will maintain staff agency. Laurence, what about yourself? Yeah, I think we're in the same position as well. And uh, and from the day, different conversations I've had with different people from other schools, like we are all more and less, uh, like I said the first time we met, uh, back to basic. And then we, actually it's a fantastic opportunity because we can reframe. Uh, and uh, But what needs to be done, it's like what we all agreed on, that it's and have a common and shared understanding of what we want to achieve. And, uh, and and this is what needs to be done, and that needs to be done collaboratively, uh, because that's how we are going to get the buy-in. And that's where I think we, we need to start. And now, yes, there are recipes, um, <clears throat> build like or develop the culture of trust, uh, provide time, professional opportunities. Uh, I think also celebrate success is important and every single step because we are going, it, it's going to take time. It's a, it's a lengthy process and there will be setback. I think consistency is key as well. And, uh, and, and, and keep that drive even like when, uh, when we don't feel like we are going to it's being patient with ourselves, because I, I sometimes believe that we want to run before we can actually walk. Um, and, uh, and it's like building something. We need solid foundations. And, uh, and for this, it's all together. That's what I believe in. And that's where we need to start. Fantastic. Any other thoughts on that, Gareth? I can see. Yeah, just some some final thoughts, really. I think with you know Chris and, and Lawrence have, have covered some great ground there. I think it, it's just hard. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> you know, it's not easy. So it's really easy for us to sit here on <laughs> for forty minutes and saying, "Oh, do this, this, and this." But fundamentally, it, it's you know teaching. Fu fundamentally, teaching is. A, 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 an incredibly challenging profession. That's not to say that it's more difficult than anything else. It's just incredibly challenging. And therefore leading and managing the people that have got an incredibly tough professional role is equally as challenging. So I think understanding that and accepting it and, and recognizing that I think is the first thing and being aware of it. So because then you can drive all the psychological safety and the rest of it. So I think that's the first thing I would say. The, the other thing is, and, and perhaps going back to it's touching on a little bit what Chris talked about, but I'd go back to just making sure you've got a really good process for these things, because unless you've got a model, what you end up doing is being very reactive rather than strategic. So, you know, have you got a strategic plan? Have you got a process for that? And there's there's loads of really effective change management that that include sustainable sustainable change. So I think that that for me is you know when i was talking to you know working with ceos or head teachers have you got you know do you understand your strategic aims can you give me the elevated pitch of your school in effect basically tell me in 30 seconds what you're trying to achieve because if you can't you don't really understand what you're trying to do but so get that and then have a process and, and there's loads of change models there's lewin mckinsey you know um cotter 
they're all good and they're all effective and they'll all provide sustainable change if you follow a process. And, and I think that then there's that, that iterative change that provides, uh, you know, organization, or, organizational effectiveness. And, and to sustain change, you have to, you have to provide uh, support, challenge. You've got to have these. So Chris talked about recruitment and I think absolutely. But have you got a strategic workforce plan? You know, I, I worked in so many schools where, January came around in, in the UK and it's like, oh, somebody's handed the notion, what are we going to do? It's like, we'll stick an advert in a TS. It's like, we've, we've had this cycle every year. Surely we can think of something a bit more strategic. So I think that having, you know, having a strategic plan, a workforce, uh, workforce plan, a workforce design plan, having some approach to effective talent management, which includes the succession planning and the, and the talent and the sort of professional learning. Uh, I think this, the, think is, is key and I think that it provided you've got good understanding of how strategy works for an, from an organizational point of view I think sustainable change is is achievable fantastic thanks Gareth any other final thoughts before we wrap up all right great stuff well thank you so much guys for, for joining this conversation it's um obviously such a, a vast topic but you know I think we touched on some really really interesting points there um and yeah maybe look forward to doing a part two two session uh seeing how you're all getting on and um yeah thank you again so much for your time